Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. When are we stopping the clocks going back? I thought the EU were stopping this. Well, they are just some of the questions into C103 across the weekend on daylight savings ending. And what is happening with daylight savings? Well, MEP Sean Kelly, he has been campaigning in Europe on this for, I'd say at this stage, well nearly into five years. It is an EU law to change at this time of the year regarding the hour going back. But what is the latest? It was due uh, to get a decision on this in, I think it was 2020, but of course, COVID came along and everything was deferred. So we're going to speak with Sean Kelly this morning on that issue. Your views are welcome. Uh, do you prefer daylight savings or are you against the hour going back and should they be scrapped? Your views are welcome on that. Bernie taking your calls on 0818 103 103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp this morning to 0862 103 103. Good morning. Welcome to Tuesday's Cork Today. Hopefully you had a good weekend. A lot of people out jazzing across the weekend. Huge Uh, crowds in Cork City for the jazz and a lot of tourists on board as well and even though there was flooding it didn't deter people from enjoying themselves and more good news then by way of celebrations and gigs and people heading out enjoying themselves because as you would have heard earlier Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band they are making a return to Ireland and he will play Parky Cueve on May 16th next year tickets go on sale Monday next from 8am so a lot of gigs already uh, in the pipeline for Cork next year also this morning on the programme this week is a Brain Tumour Awareness Week and we're going to hear about a special free webinar tonight and as well as this we'll be discussing symptoms around brain tumours and it's feared the expansion of the free school book scheme will force some local bookshops to close down. We're going to chat with one Cork independent bookstore owner on this and what they fear when a lot of these companies if they're pitching for anything new from government or indeed anything commercially they don't have a huge amount of staff so usually there can be one or two people running those independent stores and now they're facing uh, first of all new competition from bigger uh, retailers coming into many towns right across Ireland and then when new schemes like this come out it does uh, hamper uh, the future of those local businesses. We'll speak with an independent store owner this morning on the programme. 
And of course, it is Halloween. Uh, so we're going to hear about and talk about Halloween traditions. But what's your uh, Halloween tradition? What did you do over the years? And that still is done today. Uh, earlier, when I was chatting with Ken Tobin on the breakfast show and, and the preview of this show, uh, remember the, the nuts that you would put your head into a bowl and try and uh, dig out the nuts in that bowl or indeed a snap apple or what else? Because a lot of those games are still done and still played in schools before they would have broken up last Friday uh, for the midterm. So what are your, what did you do growing up that is a Halloween tradition? Uh, let us know. We'll be speaking about the meaning behind this time of the year and uh, the various links to Ireland when it comes to Halloween. Michael Fortune of Folklore.ie will join us later in the programme. And you would have seen, I'm sure, over the last uh, 24 hours, heavy rain in various parts of the country. An amber alert in Northern Ireland and a lot of flooding in uh, other parts of Wexford yesterday and even though we had floods in Cork due to the uh, high tides over the weekend what will Storm Ciarán bring to us? Well, we'll be speaking with Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather after midday on what to expect over the next number of days. Yet again another storm and more high rain and winds Uh, on the way uh, for Cork unfortunately and emotions around the loss of a pet well our regular show councillor Joe Heffernan will be discussing that after 12.30 so that and more on the programme your views are welcome you can email across the show corktoday at c103.ie or indeed you can always contact us via the C103 app Uh, but as I mentioned there about the flooding again this week and because it happened in Wexford yesterday a local councillor in Wexford Jim Codd who we've actually spoken to to on the show here over uh, the years. He is calling on county councils everywhere now to seriously tackle cleaning our grates, our ditches and our drains. And indeed, he's called on the OPW uh, and others to look at the canals and our rivers to make sure everything is working and that nothing is blocked because he feels, as many people do, uh, that a lot of the flooding that is happening, not all of it, but a lot could be prevented if uh, proper cleaning works were carried out by councils and indeed works by the OPW. I'm sure a lot of people would agree with that too here in Cork. Uh, even though the flooding we've had of late, some would say no matter what was done, and because of the intensity of the rainfall, would it have made a difference? But certainly, uh, flood relief schemes have worked in some towns here in Cork. And then uh, we have that ongoing issue of just clearing out and looking after dikes and ditches and what many people are saying is common sense. It's been called for now again, considering the flooding in Wexford yesterday. Uh, and indeed, what the fear is could be further flooding this week uh, with Storm Ciarán on the way. And just staying with that, because thousands of homeowners and business may have to abandon their properties, it seems, in the coming decades. This is under national policies to deal with rising sea levels and major coastal change uh, that's ahead. The government says that they're looking at policies around uh, and what they call a managed retreat. And this is a coordinated move away from the coast and they feel it must be developed now instead of waiting for an emergency situation to arise. The move comes after the publication of the long-awaited National Coastal Change Management Strategy. And this basically makes for a series of recommendations for how Ireland now needs to prepare for the loss of coastal lands to sea level rise 
and also increased erosion from strengthening storms uh, that are really changing, I suppose, and intensifying over the next... Uh, we've, we've already seen this over the last year, but more to come, seemingly, uh, according to those who are planning for the future when it comes to our coastline. And so many here in Cork who are living along the coastlines of east, south and west Cork will be impacted by this already if you're out and about walking. Some days you can see the change in our coastline due to uh, the heavy waves coming in from the Atlantic and what that will lead to, I suppose, they're looking at now in in 10 years plus. Uh, So interesting that is happening today as we talk about the weather and something else that might be of interest. And this is what we all want to retire at some stage and we're all looking forward uh, to retirement. But uh, the state pension qualification age, it's seemingly now uh, should be raised to 75. Well, who is saying that? It's according uh, to a report uh, that is out and this report and recommendation is from the Oireachtas Social Protection Committee. Now, they would push the cut-off age at five years more than 70 and the age recommenda- recommended by the State Commission on pensions, uh, that age 70, was transposed into the draft Social Welfare Amendment Bill for 2023. Uh, but the new bill, even though it's just a draft, uh, would have seen that age increase from 66 to 70 in order to allow people to defer accessing the pension to a later stage. So you would keep working and then you would be able to access uh, this enhanced rate of a pension when it is eventually drawn down. Now, the committee said the enhanced rate should be maintained so that uh, you can draw this down and, and you can keep working up until maybe you are 75 if you want to work until you're 75. Now, the state pension age is uh, currently 66. And under this new bill, what all this means basically is uh, that uh, while it remains a 66 for the state pension age, those who defer accessing the pension and who had it to a turn 66 after the 1st of January next year, so 2024, to access then an enhanced rate of pay out of the pension dependent on the age until they defer it to. So there's going to be a different rate for every uh, year paid. So if you decide that you're going to work on until 70, then you'll be claiming a higher state pension at the age of 70. Similar if you decide to do so at 68 or 69. Uh, and the reason they are looking at this is because people are living longer and indeed a lot of people are in good health at the age of 70 and feel they can work on. Now, depends on the job you're doing as well. If you're uh, working in a construction or electrician or a plumber or whatever, you may not want to be working into the years of uh, 70 plus, but maybe some people, depending, depending on their job, would be happy to work on. Uh, and it's been something that they have spoken about for a long, long time, the retirement age. Many of us, I think, will, will be working right into our 70s because when a certain cohort of us reach retirement age, the way things are going with everybody paying into the pension pot so that you can actually claim a state pension uh, we'd be working well into our 70s and I think a lot of people are uh, coming to that realisation now when you look to the future of Ireland and indeed not only Ireland but other countries and the way the imbalance is going uh, with age and population in our country. Any of your views are welcome on that. Would you be happy to work on or like many people happy to retire? Uh, some would say as soon as you can. Of course the other thing here is uh, maybe those working in the public service will have access to a pension which they pay into 
over the years. Uh, but those working in the private sector are also paying into a pension, uh, but it may not be as generous as those in the public sector. And those then in the private sector who do pay into a pension, what happens a lot of the time is you pay every month into a pension. And when you get to retirement age, it could be a few years beforehand. If things go wallop in the country or indeed in the stock markets, you can suffer for that. So it doesn't always work out. And a lot of people do have to Uh, rely really on the state pension. Anyhow, your views are welcome. Would you rather go at 66 or work on to 70 plus? Your views are welcome. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. But very sad news over the weekend. Uh, Friend star Matthew Perry found dead at his home in LA. Uh, First responders found him unconscious in his bathtub and were unable to revive him. Uh, everybody would know him from his role as Chandler, uh, which uh, made him famous right across the world. But he was very outspoken because he did suffer with substance abuse. And that's something he spoke about in his memoir last year. Uh, but in his role as Chandler in Friends, he was the actor that everybody loved. Uh, he was 54. And I'm sure many of you know the sitcom Friends. And while there's still many reruns shown on a lot of television channels, the show itself, it just ran for 10 years. It ran from 1994 to 2004, but by way of repeats and streaming services, it got new fans over the last 10 years. Anyhow, this is the last scene from Friends and ironically, the last word ever spoken on the show was by Chandler. This was your first home and it was a happy place filled with love and laughter but more important, because of rent control, it was a friggin' steal. <laughs> well, do you guys have to go to the new house right away, or do you have some time? We got some time. Okay, should we get some coffee? Sure. Where? And that was the uh, final scene and the final word from Matthew Perry in his role as a Chandler, of course. Perry did appear in several other hits, including Boys Will Be Boys, Growing Pains, Beverly Hills 90210, The West Wing and indeed Scrubs. But he will be known for his role within the hit sitcom Friends. Uh, all his friends, colleagues were paying tribute across the weekend, uh, including Warner Brothers, who have said that on a social media post over the weekend, the impact of his comedy genius was just felt around the world and yesterday evening and this morning uh, the cast the main cast of friends came out and they said they're just utterly devastated we were more than just castmates we were family uh, the main cast of friends uh, issuing that statement yesterday evening and indeed to our time early this morning so Matthew Perry uh, may he rest in peace so a lot of calls and comments in regarding winter time should the clocks go back or be left as there is we'll discuss that next uh, one man who has been campaigning for the last four or five years on this is MEP Sean Kelly he'll join us next You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. CorkToday at C103.ie. Today on C103. Winter time in Ireland officially commenced on Sunday morning as the clocks went back by one hour. But all weekends, we are receiving calls and texts asking, was this not all going to change? Well, the MEP, who has been debating this for a number of years, is Ireland's South MEP, Sean Kelly, who joins me. Good morning to you, Sean. 
Good morning, John Paul. And thanks for joining us. As it stands under EU law, the clocks in all member states go back an hour on the last Sunday in October and usually then forward on the last Sunday of March. Now, you and others campaigned for this change. So where does it currently stand? Yeah, we made great progress in the last commission. As, and as a result, the commission did a public survey. And in that survey, over 80% of people wanted an end to clock change. On that basis, they put forward a proposal to the voted by the overwhelming majority in the European Parliament. But it needed the go-ahead from all the member states, and some member states, including Ireland, weren't happy to move. And then that commission came to an end, and the, this commission, with COVID and the war in Ukraine and the cost of living crisis and energy crisis and the Green Deal, didn't really see this as a priority, so... We have to try and resurrect it again now, maybe, for the next commission if we're back in the European Parliament. And when you say resurrect, does that mean it has to start from all over again, from scratch, or are measures already in place that you can pick up where you stopped? Well, the fact that they've got the majority the last time and that this public survey showed that people were in favour of change, you're starting from an advantageous position. But you're right, you still have to go through the process. The commission would still have to put it on the agenda would have to go through Parliament and Member States again. And one of the points that I think might be worth looking at, if they're not willing to uh, abolish it completely, maybe they'd shorten, particularly the winter time. Why do the clocks have to go back in the in the October? Couldn't they go back in the November? And especially in the spring, bring it forward, I think, to February rather than March would make a big difference. So let's see what they think. And on that measure of even shortening the time going back, the AA have looked at their stats and they found a number of uh, collisions on our roads. It always rises once the clocks go back by a, a quarter. Uh, so from a road safety point of view, anyhow, looking at the stats, there seems to be a call to leave things as they are. Yeah, but you see, the clock change leads to a lot of difficulties and this has been researched because we looked at this from experts across the United States and Europe, people with uh, difficulties, mental health issues, depression, autism, uh, light sleepers. It affects them all in a negative way. And it also affects animals, particularly on the roads, more are killed because they have been used to crossing particularly motorways at a particular time. That changes, more are killed. So uh, there's an offer of evidence there to suggest that particularly in the week or two after the change, that you have more accidents, you have more animals being killed, with people suffering from depression, etc., sleep deprivation, etc. Whereas if it just walked away naturally, then I think things would fall into place much better for people. Yeah, and as you mentioned that, it's something we speak about uh, quite a lot with Joe Heffernan, who's our regular counsellor on the show with Seasonal Affective Disorder. And one woman actually rang me last week when we were discussing that the clocks were going back and she said she dreads the clocks going back due to the dark evenings, just hates the dark evenings. And while I suppose no one is stopping anybody from going out for a run, uh, some people feel with walking becoming more popular in the last three or four years that their evening walk or run is robbed from from them because of the dark evenings. Now, no one is stopping anybody to go out in the dark, but many would rather go out after work in, in bright and in sunlight or whatever kind of light there is. So it does have an effect, Sean, from exercise and indeed outside of sleep and exercise point of view as well. No doubt about it. And uh, definitely 
from a perspective of winter and energy prices, heating going on earlier, longer nights means more cost. And also, as you say, people not being able to go out in the evening because once winter time comes in, basically winter comes in which is psychologically as well as from a daylight point of view. And I, I don't think uh, that's beneficial. There will be people with a different view, that's fine. But the majority of people, both in the United States and the European Union, in the public consultations that were taken and the surveys that were taken by people in universities, etc., all indicated that they would prefer it to finish. But let's see. Yeah, and, and I know one of the worries a number of years ago was when the UK left the EU, there was a fear here on the island of Ireland that we may have two time zones if the UK did not follow the EU with the changing, if, if we did decide to leave things as they were and scrap daylight savings. Uh, has that now been ruled out? I think that's, that's a no-no. That, that will never happen. Hmm. Because, first of all, OK, Brexit was a bit mad for a while things to settle down. Now uh, I'm the first vice chair of what they call the Parliamentary Partnership Assembly. We discuss issues. If this was to come into the agenda again, we could discuss this. And I'm quite sure we'd reach a consensus on it because the interesting point is that over 85% of respondents from Ireland said they wanted the in-trap change and the exact same percentage of respondents from the United Kingdom said the same. So the United Kingdom, from a logistical point of view, in terms of aviation, maritime, etc. I could, they, it just would be impossible for them to go against what was happening in Europe. And I think that relationships have improved considerably. It certainly wouldn't be as difficult as it might have been a couple of years ago when anything to do with Europe was seen by the Brexiteers as something negative and to be avoided. Yeah, and what's happened here? Now, I know you did mention this, that you know you maybe have an agreement where you would shorten the daylight savings during the winter period and maybe go back to the end of November. Uh, but somebody here is saying not getting bright until 9.30am in December is the consequence of what Sean Kelly and the European Parliament are advocating by scrapping daylight saving times, delaying the changing of the clocks until the end of November and change them again in mid-February is a sensible compromise. You can't invent extra daylight or Ireland's position at the west of Europe. Would you agree with that person because of where we are positioned in Europe that we, we would have a bigger impact on us if we could, kept things the way they are and didn't go down uh, with the daylight savings? Well, there may definitely, obviously you can create more daylight the question of maximising the daylight you have and uh, I think that uh, if things, if the talks didn't change, people wouldn't take too much notice of it because it happened naturally. But is this sudden change going back an hour and then you're finding it's getting dark around 5 o'clock when you had been used to doing 6 or 7. I think psychologically that upsets uh, a lot of people and it makes it more difficult to continue, as you said, in terms of going for walks or sport or whatever. But uh, unless we change and try it, we won't know. So uh, that's what I favour anyway, personally. Okay, so you must go back now again to the table on this one with the EU. If everybody is happy and member states come together and even if it's a scrapping totally of daylight savings or going on what we just spoke about, reducing it from maybe November until February, when then can we see this being implemented? I think one of the factors that will come into play now that didn't have the same impact when we were dealing with it last time is the whole question of energy. Because, you know, there's the energy security, the big issue now, 
um, particularly because they're trying to wean ourselves off Russian gas, etc. So if, for instance, we start showed that by changing the clocks, it was actually utilizing more energy than if we didn't, I think that certainly would be a factor that would certainly impact it now. But really, what we have to do is, if we're re-elected next June, and then the new commission starts up, we have to try and get it onto their program as one of the issues that they will deal with, the same as young Claude Juncker did the last time in response to what research we had undertaken, the consultations we had undertaken, and particularly the public survey that showed the majority of people wanted to end it. So you have to probably do all that again. Okay, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens for the moment, Sean. Thanks for joining us this morning. That is Ireland South MEP Sean Kelly. Your views are welcome. 0818103103 by phone. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Uh, somebody on text saying, please stop putting the clocks in the winter backwards. It's awful to be driving or getting the bus home in the dark. And it's terrible for mental well-being as people can't get out and exercise or indeed meet people on the dark evenings. While Joe says, I would prefer if the time stayed in summer all year round it would suit people uh, a lot of people better uh, that's Joe on text to 0862103103 and somebody else on WhatsApp saying I like the winter I prefer it Sean doesn't speak for me people won't go for walks in the dark because of not feeling safe with no guardie out and about on the beach that's the cause for that nothing to do with the darkness or the clocks going back uh, so mixed views on text or WhatsApp what's your view you can always email Cork Today at c103.ie on the way we're going to hear about how this week is Brain Tumour Awareness Week and indeed the signs and symptoms to look out for Cork Today on C103 International Brain Tumour Awareness Week takes place until this coming Saturday. A free webinar, BrainWise, Living Well with a Brain Tumour, organised by Brain Tumour Ireland, will take place this evening. And Michael Farrell, who is a Brain Tumour Ireland board member and a former neuropathologist, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, JP. Thank you for having me on. And thanks for joining us. I was looking at the latest figures coming from the National Cancer Registry and they say that around 800 people diagnosed with a brain tumour or indeed other central nervous system tumours each year in Ireland. Now, we've spoken to many, Michael, over the years who thankfully have overcome surgery and have overcome the illness that follows. But for many, they question why it seems now more people are suffering from tumours or is it basically because we are diagnosing over the past 20 years with a better technology? Uh, yes, indeed. That's a good question. There is no doubt an increase in the number of people who are undergoing treatment for, for brain tumours. But what I would say is that um, in the past, uh, when people had an underlying cancer, such as lung or breast or whatever, many of those patients in the late stages of the illness would have presented with spread of the tumour to the brain and back 25 or 30 years ago, there really was no further treatment. Nothing could be done at that stage. But that's all changed now for that group of patients whose cancers are really well controlled, but yet they turn up years later with a single tumour spreading to the brain from breast or lung. And now, of course, those patients will undergo neurosurgical removal of that tumour. So they're the patients we describe as having secondary brain tumours. That number is certainly on the increase. The number of patients with what we call primary brain tumours that arise within the brain or the spinal cord in adults or children, that number hasn't really 
changed very much over the last uh, several years. Uh, the so cancer registry in Cork does an amazing job in so plotting the numbers of tumours uh, over the decades and so on. And as I say, we haven't seen a big increase. What increase there is in primary brain tumours is probably due to more ac- more easy access to brain scanning. So everybody can get a brain scan now relatively easy. And then sometimes a patient will be found to have what we call an incidental brain tumour that may or may not need any further management. So you're absolutely right. The numbers are on the increase, but mainly due to people whose cancers have been treated really well and now they turn up with a spread of the cancer to the brain and that's going to be treated equally aggressively and well uh, from, from here on. And compared to a number of years ago, Michael, we are seeing better outcomes today, be that secondary or indeed a primary tumour to the brain. Uh, and like everything, early diagnosis, that is key, isn't it? It is. Um, the problem is, you see, in all of other all of the other cancers like lung and cervix and breast, we have screening programmes uh, and they can pick up tumours at an early stage. Unfortunately for primary brain tumours, there isn't really any screening program. I mean, people in the States looked years ago at having sort of scans done every year and so on of the whole population, but it turned out to be a complete farce and to have no relevance at all to picking up early tumours. So we don't have a screening program, but we, so we have to rely on the clinical symptoms that the patient might present with. Now, everybody gets headaches, and the vast majority of people who have headaches do not have a brain tumour. But then once in a while, you'll have a patient whose headache is worse in the morning, gets better as the day goes along. That's always something that you need to worry a little bit about. Then you have people who will develop a seizure for the first time. Again, that needs to be investigated to see if there's an underlying tumour. And then somebody who has, say, weakness of an arm or a leg or difficulty with speech and so on that comes on as not a stroke. But again, that's a significant symptom and would need to be investigated by high-quality brain imaging. And, and thankfully now there is access to high-quality brain imaging in Cork, Dublin, and all over the country, really. So. Yeah, and it's great. And when you mentioned the changes there in technology, uh, how it has been beneficial to everybody, not only even for, for tumours, but every other health aspect as well. And yeah. with Brain Tumour Awareness Weeks and weeks like this, do you feel that people do, and I suppose, as you mentioned there, just because you get a headache, not scaring people, it doesn't mean you have a brain tumour, but still people become more aware of the symptoms around uh, illnesses like a brain tumour or others? Yes, I mean, absolutely correct. The purpose of Brain Tumor Awareness Week is to let patients with brain tumors and their family members sort of be aware of all of the services that are available uh, from the two big centres, uh, Cork University Hospital and Bowman Hospital in Dublin. All patients in Ireland with brain tumors will go through one of those two centres, and each of those centres has clinical nurse practitioners who are able to put the patients in touch with all of the available services. So, you know, our numbers are generally small. We don't, we can't compete with the large numbers of patients, unfortunately, who have breast cancer and lung cancer and so on. The improvements in those tumours, uh, breast and lung, are spectacular and have been over the last 10 or 15 years. Brain tumours are lagging a little bit behind. Now, having said that, there are many people with brain tumours who are cured by surgery and surgery alone and don't need any further treatment. But there's a smaller group whose tumours arise deep within the substance of the brain 
and they're those patients have a difficult time. It's difficult to get the entire tumour out without doing damage to the surrounding brain. And many of those patients will have to go on and have radiotherapy and chemotherapy, which is difficult for the brain to handle and for the patients to handle. So it's all about highlighting brain tumours, making people aware of the services that are available and providing information. Information is key for people who are frightened or left in the lurch and not really knowing which way to turn or go. So, so that's really the purpose of the week. Yeah, and uh, Maura just texted in, her uncle uh, had a brain tumour a number of years ago. Thankfully, uh, following surgery and treatment, he did very well, overcome, overcame the brain tumour and is leading now a very successful life, says Maura, and back working and has a young family. So that's good to hear. So it does show there's a positive outcome uh, for someone who may be going through this at the moment. Uh, but also, and I suppose it ties in with a question I asked earlier as well, but and th- th- I don't know from your own profession, uh, working yep. within the various hospitals, if, if you can even figure this or, or, or answer this one. Uh, this is from Monica who says, do we know why people though do get tumours or even do get brain tumours? Is there any anything that people can do to prevent this or is it just simply something that no. just happens? No, unfortunately we don't really know why brain tumours develop. There are, if you like, a number of genes that are passed on to successive family generations which if they are abnormal might lead a person to become more susceptible to a brain tumour. It doesn't mean you'll get one, but might lead you to be more susceptible to one. But that's a very, very small subgroup. So I can't turn around and tell you that there are environmental factors that give rise to brain tumours, but there aren't really. There aren't viruses that cause brain tumours, and genes contribute a small to a small proportion of the brain tumours that arise. So your, your caller is absolutely correct. We, we don't really know the, the cause of brain tumours. Okay, well, I know this evening there's a free webinar for those who do want to find out more about this Awareness Week. You've the special guest, uh, Conor Dunu, who, of course, is well known from the band Wild Youth. Uh, Conor actually lost his mum, Jackie, uh, to a brain tumour in 2011, didn't he? That's right. I haven't met Conor yet, but I hope to do uh, over the next couple of days. Uh, and to be honest, I, I don't know really a lot about his mother or what happened. It's obviously very sad when you lose your mother at mm-hmm. such a young age. And it is sad for people in Ireland who have family members with brain tumours who uh, are undergoing difficult treatments for, for some, not for all. As your other caller said, she's an uncle who has recovered completely. And that is the way and the outcome for many, many patients with, with brain tumours. Yeah, and it is. I mean, Connor has been over the years quite outspoken, I suppose, by raising awareness of this and, and telling the story of his mum, uh, which, you know, anything regarding awareness is good when it comes to illness of so people, you know, have, have a better understanding uh, to what someone with this will be going through. But for those who want to go along tonight, it's a free webinar. Uh, you just go along and register at braintumorireland.com and it all starts tonight, doesn't it, Michael, from 6.30? That's right. And if you want to Google and Google Brain Tumor Ireland, all, all of the details are there and everybody is welcome. Very good, Michael. Well, thanks for joining us this morning and uh, best of luck with that webinar tonight. Take care. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Bye-bye. Michael Farrell there. Bye-bye, Michael Farrell, who's a brain tumour Ireland board member and a former neuropathologist as well. Uh, just explaining, I suppose, uh, ahead of tonight's um, webinar, uh, this the science behind this and the awareness that people need to know about brain tumours. Uh, and uh, as we've heard on our texts and calls this morning, some positive feedback, though, from people who have unfortunately been diagnosed with a brain tumour in the past, but have overcome this and are leading successful and busy lives yet again. So uh, I suppose while people need to be aware, it ain't all doom and gloom either, uh, but also a worrying time, of course, while somebody is going through that. Lines open 0818 103 103, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. A lot of calls and comments in on daylight savings. I'll get to those shortly, but we'll be speaking to Michael Fortune of Folklore.ie later after 11 o'clock on Halloween traditions and what we all did and do uh, for this time of the year. Uh, many people stocking up on sweets uh, today because the uh, trick-or-treaters, they'll be doing the rounds uh, later. Uh, and a lot of people will be keeping an eye out for all the, the various costumes that they'll be uh, dressing up uh, later this evening and just be, take care if you're on if you're out in the dark uh, make sure you have something reflective as well when you're out trick-or-treating later but these people were telling us a short while ago what they plan to dress up as later this evening Lena Lovegood I'm going as an M&M taking the sort of a Top Gun Maverick kind of vibe aviators the dog tags the green bomber jacket sure it's only one day a year like an M&M is an interesting choice of costume anyhow if you are heading out later enjoy and be safe but what were your favourite Halloween traditions from when you were growing up or indeed what you do now let us know text or WhatsApp 0862103103 I think it's JP in for the midterm until one with Cork today and Bernie taking your calls and comments on 0818103103 or indeed you can text or indeed WhatsApp on 0862103103 ahead we'll be looking for your Halloween traditions and we'll be speaking to Michael Fortune of Folklore.ie about some of those various traditions that we all would have grown up with over the years. That's on the way. And plus, uh, beforehand, we'll be speaking to an independent bookshop owner. Uh, There's a fear that many local bookshops may close due to the expansion of the free school book scheme. That's on the way. But a lot of calls and comments in on various issues we have been discussing this morning. And first, uh, back to the clocks and daylight saving, which we spoke uh, to Sean Kelly, Ireland's South Fine Gael MEP, and he and others have been campaigning to scrap daylight savings. Uh, now it seems they will have to go back again to the table in Europe and more or less start from scratch maybe on this one to see if they will uh, stop or leave it go ahead or reduce the amount of months uh, we operate with daylight savings. And Margaret is saying, hi John Paul, I don't see what the problem is with changing the time. It's the way it is and all always was. What next do they want to do? This has always been our way. Can they not leave it as it is? Asks Margaret while Michael says, I absolutely hate the time change with the long, dark, dreary evenings. I really can't understand why our government opposed the decision of the European Parliament at that time. We seem to accept everything the EU proposed, but when something sensible is presented, we oppose it. It's amazing that everything has to start from scratch again now to try and get a change in this law. I, for one, would be very much in favour of keeping summertime, says Michael on text to 0862103103. And a WhatsApper here is saying back in 1968, uh, we had two years of the clock staying the same. Mornings very dark, evenings nice and bright. Uh, well, you're right, yeah, back in 1968, 
Uh, the daylight saving for summertime, I presume, was adopted all year round. Uh, and this was just an experiment. It was only in Britain and Ireland. And the advantage at that time that Ireland and Britain had when they did this experiment, uh, wintertime in Ireland was the same in Germany and France because they're an hour ahead. But most of Europe then was at the one time zone uh, just during uh, that time of the experiment. It also meant though a brighter evening so uh, a lot of people were able to get out and about but uh, the demand for electricity was reduced then in the winter due to that for the evening. So that did happen uh, and maybe we'll be going back to that uh, experiment again. We'll have to wait and see. Thank you for your WhatsApp. I mentioned there regarding the what's considered anyhow so far uh, from the Oireachtas Social Protection Committee regarding the pension age and how Um, They are looking at uh, the fact that they'll have a different rate for when you retire. So if you decide to take the state pension at 70, you would be getting a higher rate than those who opt for the state pension at 66. Obviously, a lot of people may want to work on and some, depending on the job you're in, won't want to work on. It's it's very kind of a a tough one to call because if you're working in construction or if you're a plumber, electrician or whatever, you more than likely will want to finish up uh, in your 60s. Uh, But then maybe some people working in an office may feel they can continue into their 70s. Depends on the job and also depends on the person. Many people might just want to leave at 65 and 66 and say they've had enough of it, uh, while others may want to work on. And I think for uh, my generation and others below, our, our fear is we'll be working well into our 70s because every time they look at the state pension uh, they and any type of retirement age, they keep pushing it up slowly but surely. So we'll have to wait and see what happens into the future. But for now, uh, that is what is happening. And somebody here on text is saying that over my dead body, will I be working until I'm 70 or older? They just want our generation to keel over before we get any pension, says somebody on text. While John's saying, I think it is unfair to expect people to work into their 70s but many will have to uh, if you're working in the private sector a lot of private pensions collapse over the last number of years and many people now just rely on the state pension uh, which while compared to other countries it is good it's still considering the cost of living in Ireland has a lot of people under pressure uh, those who are lucky uh, to have a good second pension well done but many don't in this country due to the collapse of pensions uh, says John on text to 0862103103 and a good point there uh, because many people unfortunately just rely on the state pension you won't uh, or may not have a pension from your employer and if you do it may have suffered because a lot of those goes on to keep it simple stocks and shares in the way of the world Uh, And you may have been impacted by that and then others may not pay a lot out or you may not pay a lot in. You may not have the money to pay into a pension and only contribute a small amount every month. And because of that, when it comes to fruition at the end of your time, you may not have a lot of money to uh, gain from the pension. So you do really depend on the state pension. Uh, And it depends on how long now people will, will have to work not that they want to work, but we'll have to work, it would seem, into the future. Anyhow, thanks for your calls and texts on the pension. And uh, hi to a number of people who have been on to us, by the way, in the Bantier and Lumberstown area. Uh, no electricity there in the last while. I can tell you uh, Electric Ireland and ESB Networks, uh, they have been in contact with us and ESB Networks are working on this. There's a fault in that area and they're hoping to have electricity restored uh, at around 1.30 this afternoon. So that's why uh, there's no electricity in that area of North Cork. Uh, electricity due to be restored again at about 1.30 this afternoon. 
And uh, maybe somebody can help this listener here who has an NCT query. Uh, their car is going for a retest tomorrow. Now, the NCT is actually out uh, since February 2023. So they're wondering, will they get a 12-month disc or just a four-month disc? Because the NCT should be due again in February 2024. This listener is in for my Well, just from my own personal experience, I can tell you I had the NCT back in September and mine was due out in August. So I got a date for September. And I took that. Uh, but on the disc, when I got it back and I just went out to the car park there and checked it for you during the news, uh, my disc does say the 25th of August when the NCT was due. But then in small writing, when I actually got the NCT, it says the 13th of September. That is actually marked on the disc, but it is the NCT itself, only valid up until the 25th of August 2025 for my one. So just going on that experience, I would presume that it will be just for four months because that's that. That's the way it seems to be going. But maybe someone else is in a different situation. Maybe retests are different also. Uh, let us know. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. A lot more calls and comments coming in on various issues and we'll get to those shortly. C103 Jobs. Industrial electricians, they're wanted for projects in the Blackpool, Bishopstown and indeed Model Farm Road area. Send your CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. A caretaker is wanted to work one day per week at Ballyhas National School. The position is subject to guard vetting. You can email your details to ballyhasmixedins at gmail.com or phone the school on 022 27937. And a full or part-time childcare Assistant is wanted for Carignavar. Email tracy38murphy at yahoo.co.uk. You'll find these jobs and more online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash job. Court today on C103. It's feared the expansion of the free school book scheme will force some local bookshops to close down. The government announced in the budget that the free school book scheme will expand to junior cycle students and secondary school from next year. And Juno Flynn, who owns Phillips Bookshop in Mallow, joins me on this. Good morning to you, June. Hi, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine and thanks for joining us. Um, Bookselling Ireland and indeed a lot of other smaller independent bookstores uh, feel that this scheme is just too bureaucratic, first of all, and that many can't afford to participate in it. That is definitely true. A lot of um, bookshops, 50% of bookshops, um, sell school books also and this would be about 30% of their revenue, which is quite a large amount. Um we found that the rollout of the primary school book scheme um, where schools went to their local bookshop, we worked with the administration in the schools and um, it was an awful lot of work for the administration and for the bookshops. We did our best, but like with secondary schools, they roll it out for up to third year. It's it's massive. I mean, it'll instead of having 100 families coming into your shop buying books and picking up other items, you'll have one order from the school. The drop in footfall is is very serious for bookshops. And then for an independent store like yourself, you would run the store, you'd have some staff underneath you obviously, but a lot of the work would be done by by one person. So you then would have to go and get all the paperwork ready and get everything done in a certain time frame. But while you have everything done, you may not get the business because I presume the schools will always avail of the, the cheapest quote. They don't have to, but a lot of them did. Um, it was a race to the bottom and 
a lot of some of the schools there was an awful lot of haggling and back and forth with quotes taking different things off um a lot of it went on book covering and then they decide to get, oh, we'll get some books covered and we won't get others. There was an awful lot of work in doing up the quotes and just non-stop emails back and forth. I mean, it was a full-time job for three people, like for two months, just answering quotes. And like a lot of them, they had to get for the primary schools, they were meant to get three quotes. And I mean, you knew some of them, you were definitely weren't going to get their business. Like they were from, you know, out outside the county and they were just doing it to say that they'd got the three quotes. So, I mean, it's very hard to, to give time doing quotes for a business you're, you're not even going to get. Yeah, you know that it's not going to come to fruition so you're just lifting all this extra paperwork then <laughs> yeah. and, and, and nothing at the other end of it. Do you feel then maybe, not only here in Cork but across the country, just to get the business that some stores undervalued so that they could get the, the business from a school to keep the doors open in their shop? Definitely. Um, some of the discounting that went on was, it just didn't make any sense business wise. I mean, you can't operate at a loss. I mean, why would you? You're in business. I mean, we're not trying to rip anyone off. We're just trying to make a living and employ as many people as possible to do that. So even our staff numbers were halved this year. And like the whole summer, then you were going, oh God, is it going to, is it all going to go mad in August and we don't have enough staff? But, I mean, you couldn't bring staff in to be sitting around twiddling their thumbs. You could, it wouldn't pay to do that. And we just had to get on with it when it was very busy in August. But we just did our best. And, um, like, we had the secondary school sales. We had all the first to third years still coming in, getting their school books, getting their stationery. If that was gone, it, it was extremely serious. I mean, the, the football would drop off massively. And there wouldn't be any need for summer staff, all the students you take on. I mean, there'd be no work for them to do. If you just had, if you were just doing bulk orders and you had them all sent out by June, the, like the summer as it is for a school bookshop, would be totally different. Yeah, and we were discussing that because everybody welcomes the extension of the free book scale. It does take a lot of pressure off families uh, around that time of the year from the summer into September. But the outside measure of this, that when we were discussing it in the office last week, is the effects it has then on the bookshop. I mean, we all know you go in to collect the books, but you just don't get the books. You'll get paper coverings, as you mentioned, but you'll get biros. You'll, you might even see books that are for sale in the shop, not school books, but, you know, other type of books, and you'll pick one of those up. So, from that point of view, a footfall drop. Uh, I mean, was there any other way that they could do this? Maybe a voucher scheme or something? Would that have worked uh, better? Well, Selling Ireland is um, appealing to Norma Foley that a voucher scheme, if they gave vouchers to all the parents. And like they could still, for the government, it wouldn't be any more work, per se, because they would still give the schools whatever the budget they agree per student, and the school would have that money then this the bookshops would work with the school to redeem the vouchers. Like, we already do vouchers with um, St. Vincent de Paul and other some of the schools, and we send them a statement once the voucher is used and wish a receipt exactly what the voucher was spent on, and then they pay us. So, I mean, if they roll that out across the board for the schools, it, I mean, it could definitely work, and it would mean that the parents would still be coming. They'd have the choice where to buy the books. I mean, they could buy, they can go wherever they want. They could go online, they could do whatever. But at least you would still be getting 
the majority of the footfall into your shop for your local schools. Yeah, and Johnny's just on text. He's another uh, person who owns a bookstore, agrees with what you're saying, but uh, on the staffing situation, he said he himself had fewer staff this year and that's hard to do when you have people who come back, he says, every year to you or parents coming in knowing that usually you would have work for their son or daughter while they're off school. That work is gone. So there's a bigger impact here uh, to the community, not just on book sales, but there's an employment knock-on effect here as well. Isn't there, June? There is. I mean, we, we would have had half the staff that we had the year before um, but parents they are very understanding and we try to give work to schools who support us and um, to their students I mean we're taking people on for work experience like we have people every Friday um, throughout the year but I mean if you're not getting any anything from the school they're not buying any books from you it, it's very hard you know it is very, very serious for everyone involved. And, I mean, parents do expect that your their son or daughter, like, because they've worked here for a couple of years, they assume that there's going to be work for them. But if there's if there's no one coming into the shop, you can't afford to be paying people to, to stand around. So, um, and they understand that. I mean, it is a business. Yeah, and then on top of all of that, outside of the school book issue, VAT is to be removed and audio books and e-books. That was mentioned in the budget. Now, will that have an impact on book sales, do you feel? I know some people still love to hold a physical book and will go out and buy a physical book to read. But will it have an impact in the future, in the next year for bookstores? It probably will, um, because like people, it might encourage people to move away from actual books that they would um, buy e-books and audio books so like the the drop in football this summer impacted general book sales massively like we saw a massive um, decline in the sales from the months June, July and August and it's only just starting to pick up now so if if people started moving away from physical books to e-books and audio books obviously that would, that would be very serious for us as well because they, they wouldn't need to come into the shop. Um, and yeah, it would be, <laughs> be very upsetting for everyone. So I don't, I don't know if we, like, you can't really stop them because, I mean, the main thing is we want everyone reading. So mm. um, the more people that are reading, the better. But at the same time, we just want people to remember, try to shop local, come into your bookshop and um, support the businesses in your town. Uh, Donald making a good point he says he enjoys going into independent stores of all sorts not only bookstores but every kind of uh, independent operated store Uh, he feels many of our large towns and cities now are getting very like those in the UK where you have massive chains just buying up other smaller stores and then converting them into that chain and they're taking over streets right across Ireland it's happened in the UK it's slowly happening here it would be a shame if we lost our independent bookstores or any type of of independent store. That has happened, I suppose, already, June, over the years. I mean, we've seen it with the electrical side of things, the way the big electrical retailers have come in and your local uh, TV repair shop in many of the towns are now a distant past memory. Uh, And that's the last thing you want now for independent bookstores because it could happen. You could see a lot more closing if if, if the supports aren't there, if if people aren't coming in uh, purchasing. Definitely. Um, I think with bookshops, people, like readers, love to come in and browse and they, in fairness, are very supportive of all types of bookshops. So um, while we don't want 
like everything to look exactly the same, every main street to have exactly the same stuff on it and um, variety is the the key to a good shopping experience. You need like you need to make for independent shops, you need to make your shop a shopping experience. You need to make it somewhere people want to come, that they know there's going to be something different that they're not going to get in the run-of-the-mill shop. So it's it's very important for shops to actually they need to really work on the shopping experience for the customer and customer service and having as much of a variety as possible that isn't available anywhere else. So, I mean, it's up to us as well to, to do our bit and make our shop somewhere that people want to go. And, like, if people do, like, if you have it as a destination shop, people will travel and people, like, they love coming in, like, especially here, they love coming in and they love that there's so much that they... You know, just different stuff. We have local craft. We've we've a load of different things going on. But you need, if you want your shop to stay open, that's what you need to do. You yeah. need to diversify. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, June, best of luck to you there in Phillips, and uh, hopefully uh, things will change up, and that they may look at this again next year in a different type of way. And everybody does welcome, of course, at this scheme because it does take pressure off students. It's just how it's managed so that we can keep our, our local yeah. bookstores and independent bookstores open in all our, our towns and cities. For the moment, though, June, uh, thanks for joining us this morning on the program. Thank you very much. John Take Paul. care. That is a June O'Flynn there who owns Phillips Bookshop in Mallow. Uh, your views are welcome, and like. Donald said, do we need to do something to ensure that we keep our independent Irish stores here on all our streets and towns and cities and that we don't have a number of multinationals coming in and uh, taking over the the towns and cities with international brands? Or maybe you feel that that's the way it's going to go anyhow. Uh, Your views are welcome. Our lines are open. 0818103103. You can text or WhatsApp 0818. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Six two one zero three one zero three. Your Halloween traditions. What do you remember when you were growing up about this very special and spooky time of the year? We'll chat with Michael Fortune of Folklore.ie. He'll join us next. Cork today on C one zero three. Our Halloween is today, and while many people were trick or treating over the weekend, tonight is the actual night. Michael Fortune of Folklore.ie joined me, and listeners may remember Michael also from the Irish dresser and folklore calendar. Uh, Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. 
Now, some people describe Halloween as Ireland's gift to the world, as it goes back to an old Irish celebration of Samhain, which was to welcome in the harvest around this time. Yeah, it is. It's, it, there's, there are a couple of different layers to Halloween, and harvest definitely was one of them. It was the end of the the end of the, it was Derefor, it was the the, the the end of the harvest. Really, that's what it was in the, in the Irish, and we were going into the winter. And exactly six months prior to this, we were putting up our May bushes or our May boughs, and he did it in parts of Cork as well, and in Indy Kerry, and we did it here in Wexford. And we welcomed the summer because we needed to welcome any kind of bit, good a look, bit of luck for growing the crops. But this time we marked it with, with the harvest. So that's why there's no surprise to see children even, you know, getting apples. That's why we bob for apples. That's why we hang apples out of out of pieces of string and try to bite into them. So apples and nuts were the traditional things. Now, sure, we've, we've got sweets and, and the devil knows what. But that's what it was originally. It was this kind of idea. Um, but even just to go back, a lot of our, we uh, obviously the Irish st- story on Halloween, we influenced the American the American story. That's without a doubt. We've That's well established. But we, we, it'd, be, it'd be kind of mean of us to say that we, we invented it because the Scots did it, the people over in the Isle of Man did it, parts of England did it. And then when you go over onto the continent, you see you see that the Dutch did versions of it. So did the Germans down in Spain, down in Malta. So there's a lot of cross-European stuff going on. When you kind of peel back the layers a little bit, you begin to see the bigger picture. But certainly the Irish Halloween experience influenced the American Halloween experience. And that's what we kind of, I suppose, that's become the, the global success that it is. And you mentioned there regarding the apples and the nuts and we all remember growing up and it was usually done on the last day before you broke up from school playing those games where you were dipping your head into a bowl of water to grab those various nuts that were in the bowl and they're still popular today those games are still being played Yeah there's something there's something kind of when you, there's something lovely about them I find we've got three, three girls here as well three children and they love come here to me the idea of putting your head under water there's different experiences you get even the idea of actually going out on Halloween night going out in the dark that's an experience that kind of you know you're out in the dark and you're out with your friends so the the, the elements there are really interesting even as there's a simple game that people used to play years ago and we play it now as well but, but with our own children as well it's called the plate game and some of the listeners might remember this where you might put a couple of plates in front of some of a child put a blindfold on them and then you'd have on the plate different things so you could have a ring for you going to get married like at the barn breaks you could have a clay then if you're going to die or to God forbid and then you'd have, you'd have water as well and then somebody's a stick or a holy medal and you'd spin the child around blindfolded and they'd put their hand in it and it was great crack whatever your hand landed and it was going to, that was going to predict your future so the idea of you know, there, there are games there but so many of the games are around your future like the idea um, the idea of even putting uh, two horse chestnuts in the fire you, you know you'd, put, you'd, 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 you'd figure out who you're going to marry or if you peeled an apple and once you ever the apple the core fell on the, or the, the peel fell on the ground it'd spell out the initials of the man or the woman you were going to marry so there's loads around marrying and sure I suppose at its most common is if you going to any any shop in the country now you'd probably buy a bar and brack still you know and we all know it's inside that the, the ring and that's where the ring came from this is where you could end up wanting or getting married if you found the ring yeah and, and in the past it was when people made them themselves at home sure they put in there was different little tokens so the ring meant you were going to get married and so that's the, that's what we all we all we're all achieved trying to get trying to try that's the, that's the, the, the top of the ladder uh but you know people other people put in holy medals you're going to become a nun or a priest uh, other people put in the stick stick meant you're going to get hardship the one thing which really struck me actually was and there was a, just a, a, a kind of it's a, it's a really telling in the plate game for example you had clay which was death that that comes to us all but he also had water and the idea of even having water on a game 
game, just kind of meant emigration. But the fact that it was so, it was just part of the whole of, of, of who we were, that we, we were, that that was just going to be part of our fate, you know, people, so many people left and different times in our history, you know, especially in the 50s and 60s over to England. Um, so those those games were there. Um, but the idea of like the, the even here, we, we'd always call Cannon Halloween night, it was always a dish that we'd always have, my mother would always cook a big pot of it. And any Halloween night, you'd always have Carl Cannon and I do it myself. But we'd always have money in our Carl Cannon. And I know some counties did call Cannon more of them didn't do it, but we'd always have called Cannon with money in it. Um, and the gas thing is, I'd go to Newfoundland, and there was people from East Cork and Newfoundland, Waterford, Wexford, South Kilkenny, Nyland off Canada, and they went over, and sure, they're, they're as Irish as we are, really, in some ways, and they're off this remote island, the same accent, same folklore, but they have the same thing. They actually called Halloween night, called Cannon night. Um, and they did the same kind of tricks and the same kind of carry on that we did. So it's interesting to see how tradition spread, you know, and how, where, where they came from. The Welsh do call canon as well, and the Welsh do a version of a barn brack. But, you know, we, we think we invented it, but we didn't, you know, just we're all part of a bigger picture. Yeah, I suppose when you mention Wales there, the Celtic aspect comes across there as well with Scotland, who you touched on earlier. And over the weekend, Michael, a lot of people would have attended Halloween parties across the the weekend, just gone. That involves dressing up. But where did this come from? As I know you posted on your social media uh, over the last week, a map that shows the extent of the tradition in Ireland going back to the 40s. And some areas, it would seem, did dress up more than other areas. Yeah, it caused a bit of a stir. It's a map that was made by a man, a great, great man called Kevin Danaher, a Limerick man, county Limerick man. And the gas thing is, like, we, sometimes we assume when we have a tradition, oh, should you say that was all over the country? But it wasn't. And even I find as well, even in villages, you'll have one family who will do something. Well, sure, their next door neighbours wouldn't have a clue what they're doing. So this idea that we all did the same thing, whether, you know, whether it's traditional music or dance or whatever kind of thing we did, we, it's not the case. And say, for example, you know, that that particular map in particular showed that the, it was done in the late forties. Showed that the dressing up part for Halloween was really strong in Leinster, Ulster, and in a couple of pockets in East Cork, down in Waterford, and then a few sprinkles then in the West Coast. But very few. There was not not, not you know. And I know I, I when I when I shared the map, I said there's probably a few dots missing here, lads. So don't get don't get don't get the hoof. You know because you know your parish is not represented. But it was just a reflection. I I believe that the 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 the, 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 the source and the research was, is, is fairly accurate. And the man did great map on different other traditions that were spread around the country and it's a great visual and also I think I you know the, the if if you would have done a similar map and he probably did do a similar map I haven't seen it on say the Ranby tradition or the or the, the Bonnet night you know you will have big bonfires in Cork but you won't get half of that over here in Wexford or on the East Coast so you know just different areas did certain things you know and that's just that's just the way it went nowadays I suppose we can we can we're you know stuff travels easier we're getting stuff through radio through mobile phones through the internet through television you know but in the past i think a lot of our traditions move with the movement of people and i do think if, it's, if you find it along the east coast you find it in scotland the island man there could have been just a blur or a mix over there from time you know um so that's that's why i think the guys and thing but the dressing up thing if anyone dressing up sure you'd see in cork and kerry you'll see for the biddy boys they'll dress up they'll dress up for hunting around you know we dressed up at different times of the year so it wasn't just at halloween in ireland either that's a really important thing to say as well Halloween was the start of our kind of winter festivities and they ran right through the until until Lent and they all finished up around Trove Tuesday. We ended up our our last kind of dressing up thing here in Wexford was a thing called Guggen, where we went out Guggen for eggs and we all know Googie egg is a Googie egg. That's what we call it. Little children would dress up going out looking for eggs off their neighbours. And so you find the exact same tradition in Finland, you know. So our tradition sometimes whatever that, that um there there's loads of little links there that kinda of make sense uh, to lads like me. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, and it's amazing the way you, you say it there that some areas have these traditions, others don't, because the bottom night you mentioned, that's huge in the city areas. In some areas of Cork County it is, but it's majority known uh, for a, a city night. So it's interesting that, you know, some areas will have these events and traditions and others won't. And it just goes to show how, how we suppose with social media now, and as you mentioned with radio and TV, we're, we're spreading those ideas to different parts of the world. Just on dressing up there, Michael, ghosts and witches, which we uh, touched on with people dressing up for Halloween parties. A lot of this may ask, why are we dressing up as ghosts or indeed as a witch? Would this be the Celtic spirit then? A lot of the older generation would say the Celtic spirits are revealed at this time. Would that be part of that? Yeah, there's yeah, there's, 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 a, there's different read, readings of it. Like the dressing up thing, from what I can see, is part of a wider simple tradition of dressing up where you would dress up to know to know you and you'd call it at neighbours' houses and there was great power in that and I could talk to you about that for hours because my own mother used to always do it with my grandmother. There's great there's a great there's a great crack in it. We should never remove sometimes we but there's a great crack in dressing up. There's a great crack in a man dressing up and dressing up to be a woman putting a yoke up his you know putting bumps on his belly or a woman dressed up as a man. My mother used to always dress up as a man. She'd cover her hands so no one would know her. She'd put plastic bags over her shoes and she used to call to my grandmother since we were children every year she called her granny to fool granny. This was the biggest trick just to be able to fool someone you know. So there was great there was great power in 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 that and dressing up and I will answer your question in a second but the idea of being in someone's kitchen and that kind of barter or that kind of idea like it and I I do say this I think the Halloween country experience is very different in the city and the suburban experience because in country areas people would know you but they'd pretend they didn't know you and you'd be brought in and you'd be you know and there was a great kind of trust as well you know you didn't yeah very true too much yeah and you you, can't, you couldn't do it you couldn't do it that cities you couldn't do it you couldn't have complete strangers coming in so in country areas it's it's it's, it's different i think that the experience is different and i even see it with my own children neighbors would kind of expect them especially older neighbors to kind of expect to see them coming on halloween night dressed up to have their little bags ready for them but back to your thing about dressing up in the spirits that's one of the stories put around i've heard it in ireland i've heard it in the isle of man the idea that they said that they, well and there is little bits of truth here i don't know how much you know stories grow legs and they grow more legs and then they're like they're they're, they're, they're spiders by the end of it you know kind of way there's yeah but yeah but there's a the story one of the stories was that when the dead came back and that's a that tied in with all souls and all saints day that the dead came back in that time and we you be and we we remember the dead that's that's a very very true thing that people do but one of the stories was that the living dressed up as the dead because it was a the puka would be out or the devil would be out to harm them i was literally listening before i came on chatting to you i was listening to a woman from waterford i recorded in clonmel back in 2016 and she used to remember as a child that the puka would be out on halloween night she said and the puka would be coming in and they have to put these crosses on doors to stop the puka coming in and the puka managed to get into her house she was told the story now as a child and he came in and the grandmother was doing the rosary and when the puka came in didn't she throw holy water on him and says go go waste nothing knows or i'll drown you and that was the end of the puka but this this idea of evil being there as well was there within within our folklore but a lot of a lot of i suppose what like we we've all gone through our own lives as well and we lose grandparents our parents and things in our lives that i you know did all souls days are really to me it's a very you know that this time of year to remember dead is really important i know our polish neighbors and there's loads of polish people living in ireland now they go to the graves on um, on halloween the way we would, would have done it you know around christmas and i begin to notice irish people are beginning to go to graves now at halloween as well light a little candle a lot of the central and south american countries go to the graves as well to remember the dead so there's a wider christian story there about remembering the dead like my I'd, I'd still light a candle. Maybe your listeners here might remember lighting a candle. You'd leave a candle lighting that night so they said that the souls will come back. Um, Granny at home said they used to leave the door open and leave a little fire on, leave a little basin of water and a towel. 
and I've come across people, I guarantee there's some of your listeners here will will know of people who still live maybe a table set, a pack of cards out, or maybe a, a sandwich out, or maybe something out for the souls to come back. So that's a very personal and very private kind of a, um, aspect of the whole to this time of year, which I actually really like. You know, it's one of those layers that, that, that to me that's very important at this time of year. You just mentioned the puka there. When you speak to people, everybody kind of has their own definition sometimes of the puka. How would you describe the puka? Yeah, come here to me. It's like it's like the word the fairies. It's one of these. I think it's one of those it general is. terms the, the, the Irish would use. Oh, the puka will get you, or the barman will get you, or yeah, yeah. the way the fairies will get you. you. You know, you'd be told, don't do that because oh, the fairy, you get bad luck with the fairies. So it's one of those kind of you know, you, you put it in inverted commas or brackets. One of those kind of things to scare you away. Um, even when people put up the maybush here in Wexford, they always said, oh, we put up the maybush to keep the fair or to keep the fairies away. So the fairies is bad luck. Um, but the puka would be that like I don't know what. But it's come here to me. It's related to. Here's what it's related. Uh, again, we claim it, but Shakespeare has the word puka in one of one of his plays, right? Uh, any of your listeners will know what a puka on is. Now go, yeah. or even if you even know what a, you know, a snail down in Waterford, they call it a shelly 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 kipuki. We call it a shelly puki. In Limerick, they call it a different name. I don't know what he's called in Cork, or a puki snail because the puki snail are two little horns sticking out. So is this kind of the horn, the little kind of horn devil? Uh, there was an insect, a shield bug here that my grandmother called. And I won't mention the first part of it because he said it had a bad smell, but she, she used to always call him this puka. Oh, there, there's one of the old pukas, she called him, because it was a kind of a little insect with two little horns on him, on his, on his head sticking out. Um, so it's, it, it, it crops up in English, but we kind of, you know, we, 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 we gaelicise things as well. Sometimes that happens within, with, with with um with words and with things in in, in Ireland we think they're 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 they go back to 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 miss the time but they don't sometimes you know you can you can find where they where they began um, I hope that makes sense to you with the puka but I, I don't know what he looks like or she looks like but I know it's one of those little no figures. yeah it and does somewhere. I think everybody yeah. has their own version of the puka maybe in different parts of the country and just very finally Michael we touched on it there with the the Celtic spirits and the ghosts and the witches because anytime we speak about Halloween many feel that trick or treating which is very popular that it came from America uh, but listening to what you're saying there is it something that we were always doing and it's just been adopted differently over the years by different countries as, as you mentioned there you touch on areas like Finland and the Isle of Man I, is that the case? Yeah I, th- I think so what we the American experience is, is, is it's a, there's a new layer and again like from what, what evidence we, we can see it was like I'm looking even looking back at old photographs or old drawings or old kind of newspaper cuttings or references to it. Children dressed up too in masks, dressed up. And what we began to see in the 1940s and 50s, you start to see, I suppose, of commercialism over in the States in particular, you start to see costumes and fancy dress. And I suppose if it's spread through a vast country the size of America, it's going to change and get watered down in parts. So the idea of like one of the real strong dressing up things for a lot of people who was dressing up calling out to your neighbours was the idea of disguise that was the crack of it while to us when we see the, the, the kind of the American tradition of not covering your face or the fancy dress or trying to be something well we try to be nothing you know that kind of way that, that yeah. to me is a, one of the clear clear divides the idea as well of, and you know this and the listeners will know this the idea of turning up to someone's door trick or treat and just expect to get something like all the older people and we we all experience ourselves as well said no, do something. You have to sing a song or <laughs> tell an old recitation or do something for us and then we'll give you something, you know. So you have to do something to get something. And that's one of the things, the experience that I like about Ireland. And I hope we won't lose that because I actually think there's a really strong social side to it. I think the idea of actually being able to talk to people, meet neighbours and get a chance, you know, that kind of way, there's a, there's a much more, rather than just to hand out to get, take something for nothing, you know, that kind Have of way. some interaction, you know, yeah. put on a performance or something uh, rather than just yeah. turning up, getting a bag of sweets or whatever and then going away again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was always that was kind of part of the deal, you know. Um, and obviously, and we we shouldn't lose sight of it. Like the, 
like my grandmother, her accounts from the 1920s, when lads went out, they went out to get something. Now, they did have to do something to get something, but then they used to get a few pence or they used to get a bit of food and they'd always have a Halloween party a couple of days later, you know. Um, that was the thing. But the idea of, of getting something was there, but you know, the American trick-or-treat name is obviously, we, we've, re- we've imported that. But here's one thing I, I, I keep saying, in some ways, and some people might, might, might disagree with it, I saw us drop certain traditions and customs here in Ireland because we saw them as backward or wayward and Ashy, why would you be doing that old crack? And it's funny sometimes when we don't have the confidence in ourselves and the fact that it actually became popular in America and we and we're kind of looking at it now assessing ourselves, going, Jesus, you know, I kind of believe in some ways that if if, if maybe if it hadn't become popular in America, we could have let it go, we could have let it slip, you know. Um, yeah, and that happens. You're you're dead right. We kind of decide that something that is Irish. Uh, we feel is it too backwards and we leave it go and, and as you mentioned then another country could pick up on something like that and twist it to their advantage and use it their way and then we kind of adopt it back again yeah absolutely and it is it's huge like you, huge like, the, the Halloween huge Halloween is huge at the moment yeah massive yeah, and it's getting bigger and bigger now. I mean, more so. I'm sure you'll see it there in Wexford. I've noticed it this year, again, in houses and housing estates and in urban areas and both rural areas, they're decorating the homes, which did not happen a lot when we were younger, but it is a lot more so now uh, with ghosts and witches and that kind of thing. So it's as big as ever. And come here, it, 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 I mean, we've got children, whatever, there's magic in little ones dressing up and getting a chance to be something else they're not for one day. You know, the kind of way. Yeah, the excitement. I, I came back, yeah, I came back from the school disco earlier on you know, and seen all the children dressed up. I should just see the little ones who would be quiet and wouldn't say boo to a mouse and then they're all dressed up. You know, just just, just love it. It's, it's lovely to see, you know, so it's great. It's yeah, great. it's the anonymity of it all. Uh, for the moment, yeah. uh, Michael, uh, we leave it there. We're going to bring you back on, though, in November because your 2024 Irish dresser and folklore calendar is going to be out and we're going to have you back on to have a proper chat about that. But for the moment, thanks for joining us. Great to hear about all those various traditions for Halloween and a happy Halloween to yourself and your family. Thanks a million. Thank you. That is Michael Fortune joining us from Folklore.ie. Lines are open. Bernie taking those calls and comments on 0818103103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Still to come, if you've ever lost a pet, you'll know the emotions about around uh, losing a much-loved pet from the household. We'll be discussing that with our regular show councillor Joe Heffernan after 12.30 and shortly we'll be joined by Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather. What will Storm Kieran bring to us this week? Uh, we know it's going to bring heavy rainfalls yet again and uh, high winds. We'll get a more in-depth uh, knowledge from Adam shortly on the programme. But a lot of calls and comments on various issues we have been discussing coming into us across the morning. First of all, on the time change and the clocks, many people feel we should leave it as it is summertime and it would be a benefit to all. That's from Jess. Uh, but somebody else saying, why not change the time half an hour and leave it at that? then everyone would be half happy. Not sure how that would work. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you for your text. And also somebody else saying, regardless what they do with the time change, it will be dark at one stage or another. Uh, so they will have to get over it. Some of the final few comments there on our daylight savings. And then uh, this text came in earlier this morning. And I'm not too sure what people's views are on this. It's regarding the Scarecrow Festival in Lep, which is a fantastic uh, festival and 
this isn't anything negative. This is more or less a safety aspect, I suppose, from somebody who was there at the weekend or driving through LEP and obviously lives in that area. And we've spoken to the organisers before and they do fantastic work setting this up. The various uh, areas whereby they have the scarecrows uh, dressed up and decorated in various parts around LEP and in LEP itself. I'm sure it does have a knock-on effect of bringing business to the area uh, and has a positive impact as well. Uh, but this is just something from a road safety aspect on that festival. Now, we have tried to or, uh, ring someone involved in uh, the Scarecrow Festival. Uh, they may contact us if they want to regarding this. This is a comment in by text earlier on this morning who feels the Scarecrow Festival in Lip, uh, he, this person feels anyhow, uh, that hasn't got bigger uh, than people expect it. Uh, now, it's on the main road, as everybody knows, and there is a footpath, this text says, running alongside one side of the road on the eastern side. But of course, people are also walking along the grass verge on the other side and out onto the road. Uh, this is an instance I had over the weekend where I presume a mother was signalling me to slow down, even though I know I was within the speed limit while her children were standing out on the edge of the grass and onto the road. I think at this time of the year, when it gets dark so early, it's an accident waiting to happen, uh, says that texter uh, in Lep uh, regarding the Scarecrow Festival. Uh, I mean, again, not talking on behalf of the organisers, but we have spoken to them before and it does provide a boost for Lep. It has really taken off. It's so well organised and indeed the... Uh, various scarecrows that have dressed up in and around the area are done well. Uh, it's not a, a half measure. It's done really, really well and has brought so many people to visit Lepbush. And I know they have reflective um, gears uh, or uh, reflective clothing on, on those who were out and about uh, making sure everything is A-OK. Uh, but has it got very popular for the locals in the area who feel for this person driving through, uh, he was worried uh, when the child was standing out on the road and what he presumed anyhow was a mother telling him slow down even though he was within the speed limit. Uh, your views are welcome on that. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Uh, but overall, you know, it is a great a festival to have for an area like LEP. So we, we have to acknowledge that. We, we've had the positives in there as well. It won't be all negative. And I don't think that person has been negative about it. I just think it's a road safety issue more than anything else uh, because festivals like that in various areas do bring so much to the community. So no one's knocking it. It's just more or less a road safety uh, element is where that person is coming from on text this morning. Also, we spoke regarding school books and the expansion of the free school book scheme that will force some local bookshops to close down over the next while. And while we were chatting with June uh, from Phillips Bookshop in Mallow and she was outlining the effects it will have in the bookshop, we were both discussing that it's not... No, it's nothing against the scheme. Many welcome the scheme because it does lessen the hardship that is out there at the moment for parents who are trying to pay X, Y and Z for those attending school and then they all, uh, they our own bills as well when it comes to running a house and car and whatnot. Well, somebody uh, doesn't really agree with that and says, I don't think the free primary and secondary school books uh, is a good idea because uh, they can see families that are in hardship, but not every family is in hardship. This person feels it was, was a lot worse back in the 80s where you swapped books with other families that were in a class above and below you. You also had the option of the bookmark on Washington Street where people queued for second-hand books. So this person 
doesn't agree uh, with the scheme now, which was launched in the budget of the free book scheme uh, extending to the junior cycle and secondary school. Uh, and I suppose the only thing with that is that the, nowadays, anyhow, they seem to be changing the books a lot more. So you might not, you might have the same book for a year or two years, but they seem to update the books uh, more frequent than they used to. So that could be an issue for swapping books or handing down books. And then, of course, in secondary school, not everybody's on the same uh, level whereby you have uh, ordinary level and higher level and, and, and different levels of subjects. So that could be an issue. But uh, do you agree with that text there? Things were worse back in the 80s and people more or less got on with it. And do we need something like this or these kind of schemes that, that are out there? Now, many other countries have these schemes running for years and years. So maybe we're just playing catch up. Anyway, thank you for your text to 0862103103. On the pensions, which you would have heard there in news as well with Barry, and this is uh, the uh, Rockdis Committee looking at the state pension and increasing the ages of them, even though you will still get the state pension at 66. Uh, they're looking at other ways that people can opt into the pension at a later age and not uh, claim the pension at 66 for those who want to continue on working or can, again, as I mentioned earlier, depending on your profession. Uh, Pat is in for my, He says a lot of older people started work very young, but now people are not going to work until much later as they are in school now, much longer. So now the older people, says Pat, are being asked to work for much longer than the next generation, uh, says Pat in for my. Uh, we mentioned earlier regarding electricity out in the Bantier and Lumberstown area. Uh, thanks to Kate, who says uh, in the Glantan area, electricity was back at at 10 past 11 but still I know uh, some areas in Bantir and Lumberstown are without electricity and ESB networks say that should be restored at 1.30. Now Anne was on earlier to us and she's commenting on the Molly Martin and Jason Corbett murder trial or murder case that is undergoing at the moment in the States and she says I can't believe what is coming from the US about this. Well Ralph Regal is in uh, the States covering this for the Irish Independent and of course the US manslaughter hearing uh, has been told uh, that Molly Martin believed her Irish husband Jason Corbett had killed his first wife and she feared the same fate would befall her. Now the startling claim came as the North Carolina, Carolina prosecutors accepted a plea bargain deal with Tom and Molly Martins over the killing of the Limerick widower and father of two in August of 2015. Now, the retired FBI agent Tom Martins pleaded guilty to a voluntary manslaughter charge while his daughter Molly, now aged 40, pleaded no contest to a similar voluntary manslaughter count. Uh, Both did appear before Judge David Hall at Davidson's Court Superior Court uh, in Lexington in North Carolina. Uh, The hearing now assuming the form of a sentencing session rather than a full retrial before a jury and the Corbett family uh, did travel from Limerick uh, to North Carolina uh, to be there uh, for that and you will hear more about that over the uh, coming week uh, but Anne just taken back of what is coming out of the States and as I said we'll have more on that across the course of the week now, uh, lines open on 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your calls or indeed texts or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. I have a lot of calls and comments uh, that we will get to, but I know Alan O'Reilly from Carla Weather is under pressure, so we'll talk to him next. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. 
And the Dragon of Shandon Parade will take place on Halloween night. That starts at 7 o'clock from Church Street and travelling down Shandon Street, North Main Street, Castle Street, Corn Market Street and finishing with a series of performances on the Colquay. That's this evening. And Donorell Act Retirement Association, they will host a Light Up for Loved Ones event at the Presentational Pastoral Centre. That's an All Souls Night, November the 1st, tomorrow from 6 until 7 o'clock. And all are welcome to go along there. And if you're interested in traditional music, well, it goes ahead with the usual session tonight at O'Donovan's Hotel in Clonakilty. But tonight, if you wish, you can dress up in costume for Halloween night at O'Donovan's Hotel in Clon. If you want to include your event, you can email diary at c103.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. A yellow rainfall alert is in place for County Kerry with the same band of rain moving across the country later. It comes as Ireland prepares for more severe weather conditions with the arrival of Storm Ciaran tomorrow, which will bring more heavy rainfall and strong winds. Alan O'Reilly from Carla Weather joins me on this. Good afternoon to you, Alan. Good afternoon. We woke with blue skies across Cork this morning. That changed there in the last half an hour or so. We're expecting rain. And we also woke to flooding pictures from Wexford and indeed Northern Ireland. So I suppose, what do we expect now from today onwards as Storm Ciaran looms? Yes, well, heavy rain has already moved into parts of South Cork. Just looking at the radar, I can see Clonakilty has some very heavy rain at the moment. So you're looking at probably somewhere between 10 and 25 millimetres of rain to fall now between now really and up to around maybe one or two o'clock in the morning. So a wet evening, a wet night, rain slowly easing off after midnight. Um, but yeah, some, some local flooding, unfortunately, likely again tonight with uh, that heavy rainfall. Then we have a bit of a break tomorrow um, before Storm Ciaran starts to push into the, the south of Ireland. Now, the, the good news for Ireland is that in general, Storm Ciaran is going to stay to the south of Ireland. The strongest winds are going to hit France and parts of southern England. There is a risk, though, of heavy rain on the on the north side or the top of the storm catching especially southern areas. Now, the weather models are struggling with this because Kiron really doesn't exist at the moment. He's still developing. So a small change in the track for Storm Kiron can make a big difference in the amount of rainfall that uh, we see in, in parts of, like, say, Cork and Waterford and Wexford and even Kerry. So at the moment, it doesn't look too bad, but that could change. And it's that intense rainfall that has led to so much of the flooding we've experienced here in Cork over the last week or so. We've always experienced rainfall, but it's just the intensity of it. It seems to be uh, from just looking at it over the last year or so, is it getting worse or or what's the reason for all of this? Yes, well, rainfall is becoming more intense because the air is warmer. We have a warmer climate, which means it holds more moisture. But really, we've just had a very wet summer followed then by a wet autumn. So, Looking at some of the weather stations, like you know, they have hit their annual rainfall amount now. So with two months to go, we've had our average total rainfall for the year. And some of the weather stations have actually recorded between 35 and 40 percent of that in the last two months alone. So over 200 millimetres of rain has fallen at Roaches Point and, and other parts of Cork in the last month, just in October. Um, so it's been very, very wet and everywhere is saturated because we're at kind of saturation point in terms of what the land can hold so 
you know, more rainfall just runs off the land. Um, so you get you get flooding where there's drainage problems and where the water does get away into the rivers and the rivers rise. Now, we're not looking at the same type of event that we saw, you know, in East Cork and Middleton and Glenmire and, and Killa, et cetera. Um, but the problem is, is that because of the issues we've had with rainfall, any rainfall is going to cause some local problems. Um, so even the 20 mil possibly tonight is going to cause some local flooding. Yeah, and Metairon are warning at the moment and they say more warnings will be issued later as the week goes on, but they're issuing a warning to homes and indeed businesses to be prepared. So uh, with the, as you said, the tracking of Storm Kieran, hard to tell, people should be on higher alert. Yes, absolutely. Anyone that's in an area that has ever flooded before, even in the last hundred years, um, you know, they need to be alert and be aware and keep an eye on, on water levels around them and know where their sandbags are, etc. because there is a risk of, of, of flooding and it can be very localised, you know, like we've seen some of the images I've shared from Ross Lair, for example, you know, you can get local pinch points where water just can't get away for whatever reason or a, a, a river may burst its banks into a, into a floodplain and people may not realise that it was once a floodplain and has become a floodplain again. Um, and then obviously, you you know, you will have spot flooding on the roads, etc. as well. So be alert and be aware, I think, is probably the most important thing. It, there is a risk of more rain again on Saturday. Um, so th- there's no real respite. Like we need a couple of weeks of dry settled weather a nice cold spell with nice blue skies would be very welcome but unfortunately there's no sign at the moment so no let up even though some of the papers this morning are reporting for november i'm not too sure when in november but they're saying that we are due to get a cold spell but is that just temperatures decreasing rather than a cold frost every morning well, there is some signs of, of maybe a chance of some more colder air moving down from the north, but whether it reaches Ireland even, that's uncertain yet. Really, beyond, you know, the seven to ten days at the moment is very uncertain. Like, sometimes when you do get these kind of storms that develop and the jet stream, it can allow for some colder, uh, more settled air to come down from the north, but it's very far from certain, and we have a lot of weather to come over the next seven days first anyway. Okay, Alan, you have a busy day, so I'll leave you go. But thanks for joining us this afternoon. That is Alan O'Reilly there from Carlow Weather and What's Ahead. Weather-wise over the next while regarding Storm Kieran and indeed tonight uh, with the uh, heavy rain we're going to experience later this afternoon already in some areas of Cork. You are having heavy rain as it is. Uh, just staying with something we spoke about in the last few minutes, this is the Scarecrow Festival in Lep. And uh, people, not the festival itself, but those who were going along to look at the various uh, costumes and scarecrows dressed up for Halloween uh, and one person felt that when he was driving through yesterday a mother uh, was telling him slow down even though he was going below the speed limit uh, through Lep the mother was telling him be you know slow down because the child and the children around were standing on the road or on the edge of the roadway Another person saying, I drove through Lep last night and the number of people walking without high-vis coats or vests was frightening, uh, says that texter and some more saying the same. And I suppose, again, the organisers are doing what they can do and it's up then to those who go along to view the Scarecrow's road safety. You know, Make sure if you are going along tonight, because I'm sure tonight will be the, the peak of it, people being out and about for Halloween, even though if it is raining, people will want to have a look. So uh, make sure if you are out and about in the car, that or outside the car, you're wearing your high-vis vests and that festival brings so much to Lep and the organisers put so much into it uh, that no one's being negative on text but they just want those who go along uh, to ensure that you are being safe when you're walking around Lep for the locals and those who commute
commute through LEP each and every day. Uh, but as we said, it, it's a fantastic festival and brings so much business as well to the area. So no one knocking it just for those who are going along, wear the high-vis vest and be safe. Uh, that's the main aim on our texts and calls this morning. Now, a lot more of calls and texts on the various issues we have discussed this morning coming in. I mentioned coastal erosion and Michael in Castletown Bear is picking up on that one. Because he says, JP, money can buy a clock, but not time. Money can buy a book, but not knowledge. Would someone please pass those two phrases onto the statutory bodies in this country as regards forward planning? Why? Because they are only now realising, says Michael, that they are light years behind what is happening in our coastal areas because of the rise in sea levels, which are apparent for the last 30 plus years. Times and tide waits for no man, says Michael. Some 30 years ago, Michael suggested to our own Cork County Council to begin creating hillside villages. He was sniggered at. Instead, they insisted on putting dwellings, houses built on floodplains in the lowest possible points available. Today, some of those properties carry large mortgages and some with little or nothing owing on them. Their value has evaporated and they will become worthless as the local authorities incorrectly place them in floodplains in lowest possible places available, especially on farms, says Michael. And Michael says he's waiting for a test case to be taken against the local authorities for incorrectly placing them in such places. It is bound to happen and the consequences will be astronomical financially. Remember, one of the reasons for a planning refusal breaking the skyline? Thank you, says Michael O'Sullivan in Castletown Bear on WhatsApp to 0862103103 on the issue of coastal erosion and indeed uh, away from erosion, indeed planning in general, which you're making a good point there, how many housing estates have been built on or developments built on floodplains and now we can see the outcome uh, for that and to that decision over the years happening. Uh, We've seen a lot of that in the last year regarding floods and homes destroyed. And when we spoke to Michael Fortune from Folklore.ie and he was going through the various Halloween traditions uh, that we spoke about, uh, one person here says, in the Midlands, we were always and we always did go to the graveyard for all souls. Uh, This person says, my sister used to want to go after dark and I went at that time with her once, but never again. As she told a ghost story as we walked into the cemetery, I was very scared and we also referred to the pookie snail and I did not realise that the puka reference uh, that the pookie snail came from I did not realise the reference to the puka until Michael informed your listeners of the connection uh, hello to you there uh, tuned your way and yeah and every part of the country also has the different uh, traditions for Halloween so every place seems to be different but more or less it's all the, the same just done in a different way anyhow thank you for your text to 0862103103 a lot more calls and comments and we'll get to those tomorrow if we go and don't get to them before at one o'clock today but on sporting matters two texts that came in earlier uh, first of all congratulations to the Butterfant Camogie team who won the county on Saturday they're a great bunch of girls so well done to all in Butterfant and a Goline listener wants to pass on congrats to the Goline footballers who won the West Cork Junior B final at the weekend so well done to all there in Goline as well on the way if you have ever suffered the loss of a pet you'll know the emotions that that's around this discussing this with our regular show counsellor Joe Heffernan that's next Cork today on C103. And as usual on a Tuesday, we're joined by our show councillor Joe Heffern. Good afternoon to you, Joe. 
Good afternoon, JP. And uh, they're going to discuss a topic that was in the papers a lot over the weekend. And we have uh, touched on this before as well with Jane, our vet here on the show. And this is losing a pet. And of course, Joe, mm. we all know a pet really becomes part of the household and they become part of the family. Uh, but when, unfortunately, a much-loved pet does pass away, there is a grieving process like you would have if a human passed away. And I think sometimes people question those feelings and if they're valid, but they they are certainly valid, aren't they, Joe? They are indeed, uh, JP. Um, I I remember downloading a thing years ago. um, The heading was, don't be ashamed to cry over the loss of your beloved pet. And um, then last Sunday, uh, I was reading the paper and um, Cornell Creedon had um, an article on uh, the entitled Farewell to My Button-Nosed Little Terrier Who Lived on Her Own Terms. Um, Connell, Co- sorry, Connell. Connell Creedon's Dogeen died last week and anyone who has lost a beloved pet will understand his grief. And uh, it's a lovely article um, that I would recommend uh, heartily. But um, it brought me back to um, when I was very young um, uh, no, to my shame, I, I can't remember the little dog's name. Um, I, I'm not even sure if he or she had a name, but it was a dog that I was very, very attached to, and he got hit by a car uh, outside the door um, and on the road, and uh, uh, his back was broken. And, um, do you know, uh, I cried for three days, there were people, I remember some uh, friends of my parents brought me down fishing, um, you know, to get my mind off of things. I just kept crying. I remember the little dog was taken into a shed and um, people were advising me, don't go near him because he's badly injured and he might bite you. But I went in and um, and I, um, I I rubbed the dog and all of that and uh, you know patted him and um, yeah I didn't get bitten at all um, but uh, he he had to he had to be put to sleep because um, yeah he he his injury was unsustainable. And Joe, um, at that time, when, when you were going through that grief for that particular dog, and I'm sure others can really identify with mm. this, uh, have you ever been told or maybe someone would have come up to you at that time saying, OK, Joe, you know, you need to move on now. It's only a pet. Because you do hear that when we discussed that in the past, people have been told that it's a pet, move on. Uh, whereas mm. some people can feel more closer sometimes to a dog than some of their own family members. Well, I mean, and many a person, I mean, I... I uh, no, no, no one in all the years ever came to me to say that the issue at hand was the death of a pet, but the death of a pet would come up um, among other things, um, and usually with great sadness. And um, uh, that's when I usually print off my uh, Don't Be Ashamed to Cry Over the Loss of Your Beloved Pet. Um, and the, the the subheading on that, like, is we should ignore any embarrassment attached to mourning our best furry friends, as the pain can linger for years. Um, uh, this was an article now where um, uh, uh, a councillor in Dublin who um, uh, had a, a kind of a, not a kind of a, a pet, 
bereavement um, clinic, um, uh, Owen Connolly. And um, I remember when I was working in UCC that some member of staff who had retired and I was saying to some other colleague, um, uh, isn't she fairly young to be retiring? Um, and uh, the person told me, no, that she was opening um, a pet bereavement um, clinic um, to work herself. Now, I, I haven't heard since about how all of that went. But yeah, um, uh, the opening statement that you made there, JP, about that your um, your feelings are valid. You're entitled to um, to grieve over the death of a beloved uh, pet. Um, we had Patch here, and Patch was with us for many years. But then Pat, Patch became quite disabled, um, really, and uh, had to be put to sleep. And uh, it was done as kindly as we could manage. Um, so there was that. Um, our our son and daughter-in-law in Cork um, had um, a, a little dog um, um, called uh, Pockets, and we were all stone mad about Pockets. He was a King Charles, and uh, when he died, we were all very, very sad. He was a pure dose, lovely little dog. And... Um, so, like, it's it's quite valid to um, to mourn the death of a pet, and um, a person need not be the slightest bit ashamed. So, the the few things that I found when I looked up things were like, um, remind yourself that your feelings are valid. Uh, brush off people who suggest it's only a pet. It's much more than a pet for many a person. It's a companion. And, um, you know, uh, I, 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 I would have heard from uh, different people down through the years might have said to me, it's like as if one of the family had died. Um, yeah, and we actually spoke to a, a man in Tremor who runs a pet crematorium on the show last Friday and he oh. actually said when people come in and families come in with their dog uh, for, for, to the crematorium, he says the grieving that they are doing when they're coming into him, he says the same as when he goes to a funeral himself, you know, it's it's the same grieving style. So, And I know some of the bigger companies, Joe, will give you, uh, the person who is suffering the loss of a pet, will give them, you know, a day off or up to three days off as you would right. you know if, if a family member passed away as well but you get time off for the, the death of a pet unless the bigger larger companies are doing that so you know it is right. it is getting being taken on board and more serious now than it would have yeah. been over the years I suppose Well the, the vet now who happened to be in the area and uh, who put Patch to sleep was a very kindly man um, uh, John O'Sullivan and uh, he was telling me that there was a crematorium in Castle Island and uh, he very kindly took our dog away. Um, now, um, maybe maybe that wasn't the 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 right and proper way to do it. May, may, maybe we should have gone down. I I don't know. Um, but I mean, it was all done with a complete lack of pain to uh, to patch. And um, so to you know, don't allow people to get to you who suggest. Ah, come on, get over it. It's only a pet. Um, and um, people can use different um, methodologies to say for sharing the death of a pet with their children. Um, 
uh, younger kids could draw pictures um, and put the name on the the little drawing. Um, uh, but to be honest with the children and to say, yeah, it's very sad, and we are we're we're very sad also. Um, so there's, I mean. Uh, not to deny the child the right to say goodbye or to grieve uh, over the the loss of their pet. I mean, um, it's seventy odd years ago that um, that I remember that um, that little dog that got knocked down. So, like, um, and to 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 talk about um, the the pet loss, I was talking to a person not too terribly long ago. Uh, whose dog had died, and you know, uh, times times were a bit tough with the same person, and uh, as we'll say, the death of the little dog kind of put it in happiness. Um, yeah, and actually, as you're mentioning people's thoughts about pets passing on, Anne is in Baden Temple. She had to put her lovely Labrador dog down on the 24th of October last year due to a very aggressive cancer, and she is still broken hearted. So it's sad to hear about that, Anne, and hopefully you, you, you are feeling better, but it's never easy when it gets to that stage. And another person here on WhatsApp is saying, one day they'll never forget, they brought their Jack Russell out for a walk, but he got out over a fence and a car knocked him over. Over and killed the dog. They'll never forget their dad carrying him back and we cried and cried so much that week. We were only kids. Now we don't blame anyone. These things can happen. It was a complete accident but we were all so upset over our beautiful friends. So just some people sharing their emotions there, Joe, on losing yeah. a pet over the years. And I think a person would have to practice um, some self-care as well. Uh, throughout uh, the the uh, the immediate time after the death of a pet, like I know it can bring things back. That uh, this is where uh, you know uh, I, I'll use the name of our own where Patch and myself would have gone for a walk, and now it's the same walk, the same road, but um, no Patch, um, and that can be said, and it can bring things back, but. Um, uh, you know, we we need to we need to get to an acceptance. Um, w- one of the things that um, uh, gets mentioned um, if this topic um, uh, comes up would be um, uh, I, I remember one person telling me that um, uh, that she'd feel very guilty to get a different pet now, a kind of a, a replacement. That she'd feel that was sort of disloyal to the, her dog that had died. And um, I, I can understand that. But yeah. maybe with time uh, that that might become something that the person would do. And when a person is ready to, to move on. Yeah. Uh, because you don't want to feel that you're replacing the dog. It's just someone new coming into the lives of a person and you still remember your, your old pet. Uh, and yeah. uh, just more, a lot of people are relaying this, Joe, and what you're saying. Patricia lost her dog in December of last year. She was so, so sad for so many months at the loss of her dog. And Sheila, and I think a lot of people will identify with this, Joe, when uh, Sheila's husband died, her dog became her closest friend. And yeah. also uh, another Anna's saying, the same that uh, when her husband died and because her family are living away uh, the pet in the household became her companion and that's why maybe not to everybody but to a lot of people they can be the closest person in their home so when they do pass away it is a, a big factor and a big change in someone's life Absolutely Absolutely and I mean uh, the heading on the article that I uh, downloaded many years ago um, would be um, uh, you know uh, apt to repeat that um, 
don't be ashamed to cry over the loss of your beloved mm. pet because um, there is real loss. I mean, the, the article by uh, Cornell Creedon there last Sunday, you know, it was very touching. Um, uh, and it can change the dynamic also in the household. Then when you're used to a pet running in and out or doing certain yeah. things with a pet, when the pet is gone, it does change uh, the dynamic. Very finally, another Anne on WhatsApp here who buries her two boxer dogs six months apart. It was mm. like losing a child, uh, says Anne. I was sorry to hear about that. And she sent me a picture as well of those dogs. Um, and just, it is, it gets very, very hard. As, and hopefully as time goes on, uh, another person, John is saying here, it does get easier, but it's very like the death of a human and people need to understand that uh, for the moment Joe yeah. we leave it there and thanks for joining us I will chat to you again next week thank you okay, enjoy your Halloween night take care that yeah. is uh, Joe Joe Heffernan there he's our regular show counsellor and you can contact him he's based in Boherbui on 086 834 8145 thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced enjoy your Tuesday afternoon if you're going trick or treating later be safe and hopefully you'll get plenty of sweets if the weather holds out. Enjoy your Halloween. I'm John Paul McNamara. Chat tomorrow. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Now at the new Saturday time of 7am and Wednesdays at 10pm. Pastor base is a thing that needs to be done at the moment or it'll be automatically excluded from derogation for 24. So you have 20 measures required, five days apart. That needs to be done. This has to be done. It is a requirement of being in derogation. Farm Talk with Dairy Gold. Prime Elite Roomy Force Calf Feed on C103. Cork and Kerry are world famous for delicious, award-winning local artisan food and drink. Visit the Cork and Kerry Food Market on November 4th and 5th indoors at Cork City Hall. Explore the very best of Munster food. Free tastings, cookery demos, family entertainment and more. Tickets on Eventbrite. Search Cork and Kerry Food Market and stay tuned to Cork's 96FM and C103. The Opal Open Road event is now on. Discover the incredible Opal range, including Continental Tires Irish Compact Car of the Year 2023, the Opal Astra. And if you order before December 15th, get a 500 euro Aldi voucher with your new Astra, Corsa, Mocha or Grandland, all available with flexible payment options. Test drive the entire Opal range now at the Opal Open Road event. Now on at Johnson & Parrott Opal, Douglas. CJPOpal.ie for details. John's, John Craddock Joint Venture Limited, working on behalf of Cork County Council, are planning to open the final section of the new N22 Ballyvornet and McCroom Road to Traffic during the afternoon of Monday, 6th of November, 2023. This will allow traffic to flow along the full length of the new N22 road in both directions from Coolcower to the east to the Ballyvornet Junction to the west. This major infrastructure project, which commenced construction in January 2020, is now coming to a conclusion. Road users are advised to take care when using the new junctions at Town Lawn and at Ballyvornet Junction until they become familiar with the new layout. The contractor would like to thank property owners along the route and the travelling public for their assistance and cooperation during the construction phase of this project. It is greatly appreciated. C103. The new autumn ranges at Harry Curry will leave you bursting with ideas for your home. View in store at Turner's Cross Retail Park or online at harrycurry.com. Harry Curry, see what's in store. On FM. Online, online, and on your phone. This is C103 News.
It's one o'clock. Good afternoon. I'm Barry.